next. Rethinking Heroes. We go live to Sweden as Nordics surrender their neutrality for membership in NATO. Plus, a new Pentagon leak on how a Russian pilot came perilously close to starting World War III. And what does it mean that NASA is now acknowledging UFOs? Well, it's next on Rethinking Heroes. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. With over 700 military veteran journalists worldwide, it's your Rethinking Heroes flash briefing. Stories from the front. Well, President Joe Biden has formerly nominated Air Force General for his choice as the nation's top military officer. General Charles C.Q. Brown, a career fighter pilot with extensive command experience, was nominated to be the next chairman of the Joint Steve say that one 10 times, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Brown is currently the Chief of Staff of the Air Force. At a White House Rose Garden ceremony, Biden described Brown as a proud, butt-kicking American airman and a fearless leader. Brown, who is the first African-American to lead a military service branch, will be the second African-American man to hold the top military spot. Army General Colin Powell made first history as the first black man in the job back in 1989. Brown has been vocal about the racism he's faced throughout his Air Force career. Today, only about 2% of all Air Force pilots are black, and Brown has made diversity and and equity a central issue during his time leading the Air Force, and maybe soon he can lead Florida. Wouldn't that be a treat? However, a vote on his nomination could be delayed Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, an Alabama Republican, has been blocking all military nominations in the Senate over the military's new policy to give service women time off and travel money to access abortion services. Hundreds of officer nominations are backed up in the Senate, and even fellow Republicans have voiced opposition to Tuberville's tactic, especially during a time of war when all hands are needed on deck. I threw that in parenthetically. That is not the official statement. On another conservative battlefront, Republicans in Congress have taken their fight against drag shows to military bases. We go now to Rethinking Heroes Rose Thayer with more. Thank you, Carrie. From Austin, Texas, this is Rose Thayer reporting for Rethinking Heroes. Republicans in Congress have indeed taken their fight against drag shows to military bases. NBC News reports that Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada was forced to cancel a scheduled drag show. Top Pentagon officials said policy does not allow funds to be spent on this form of entertainment. The Nellis event was intended to celebrate Pride Month, which is held in June. The cancellation comes after Florida Republican Matt Gates grilled Pentagon officials about drag queen story hours hosted at military bases in Montana, Virginia, and Germany. Gates then sent a letter to, Pen- to the Pentagon demanding to know if anyone would be punished for spending taxpayer money on these events. While the military typically tries to stay out of culture wars and politics, it has more and more found itself in the hot seat. Lawmakers have taken aim at programs to increase diversity and equity among troops and the curriculum taught at military service academies. I'm Rose there for Rethinking Heroes. Back to you, Carrie. Moving on to those just starting their military careers, non-U.S. citizens who enlist in the Navy, Army, or Air Force can now become an American citizen while in basic training. The practice was commonplace until a 2017 policy change at the Pentagon ended the program. The Navy brought back naturalization ceremonies for basic training in 2022, with the Army and Air Force joining in recently. Air Force ceremonies are held online, with the person administering the oath from a computer screen. 
process begins at the recruiting station with the goal of the new recruit becoming a citizen before they arrive at their first duty assignment. It was just one of many ways the military is looking to remove barriers to service in a difficult recruiting environment, despite Matt Gates. With each of the services warning they do not expect to meet their enlistment goals, with the help of people like Matt Gates, by the end of this year during a time of war. Sorry, I had to throw all that in because context is everything in journalism. A Georgia soldier who earned the Medal of Honor and died during the Korean War was finally laid to rest after 73 years missing from the battlefield. Army Private First Class Luther Herschel's story chose to stay behind and provide cover when he and other soldiers in the 9th Infantry Regiment became surrounded by enemy soldiers. Just 18 years old at the time, the young soldier was never seen again. Those actions on September 1st of 1950 earned Story the Medal of Honor. Story's father accepted his son's award at the White House one year after his son's death. Earlier this year, the U.S. military lab used DNA from the soldier's niece to confirm that remains connected from Korea to 1950 belonged to Story. Local news outlets reported that people lined the streets to welcome Story home, welcome him home to a veteran's cemetery in Andersonville, Georgia. More than 7,500 Americans who served in the Korean War remain missing, or their remains have POW MIA accounting agency. That's about 20% of the nearly 37,000 U.S. troops who died in the war. Special thanks to military reporter Rose Thayer for assembling your Rethinking Heroes flash briefing. From Los Angeles and beyond, I'm Carrie Harrison. Don't forget to subscribe and like Rethinking Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? Well, you call low-cost airlines because they specialize in cheap flights, in discount hotel rooms, in cheap car rentals, and with the best price guarantee. They explore hundreds of airlines, thousands of routes, millions of itineraries and fares to keep it simple for you. So if you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available, often 75% off. So don't wait. Call now. 901-235-1795. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Don't forget you can get a podcast of this and any other broadcast across any major streaming platform. Just ask for Rethinking Heroes. Do it verbally. Use your AI. It will bring it right up. What would be the goal of a U.S. president calling up the generally totalitarian leader of Turkey and congratulating him on his so-called election win? What if those countries were to let Turkey buy $20 billion in F-16 fighter jets on behalf of defense contractors here at home? In other words, simultaneously provide F-16s in exchange for Turkey's re-elected Erdogan, shall we say, to remove his objections to having historically neutral Sweden now join NATO. Well, my next guest says that this policy in Nordic countries implies that the Baltic Sea is no longer a neutral buffer zone, as it always has been, but is now a NATO sea. And that means that the adversaries like the United States and NATO versus Putin's Russia are coming much closer in confrontation, in animosity and hate. 
Why does it matter? Well, this simply means a shorter time available to react in a crisis situation, especially when military equipment and infrastructure is already locked in place. And soon, foreign troops may be deployed in these formerly neutral countries during peacetime. Live from Sweden is Jan Oberg, Sweden ground zero for the soon-to-be new NATO territory. Jan Oberg is the co-founder of the Swedish-based Transnational Foundation for Peace and Future Research. He just wrote the piece, Provocative NATO Undermines Security of the Nordic Region, which states that Finland and Sweden joining NATO would mean abandoning the neutrality that served them well for so long. In other words, along with Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, uh, they now have to accept foreign troops and pre-positioning of other people's weapons on their territories. Yet Iceland remains unarmed, an unarmed member, providing the World War II-era naval Keflavlik base, if I'm pronouncing, who knows how I'm pronouncing that. I think Jan will know how I'm pronouncing that. Uh, I'd like to <laughs> welcome you nonetheless, Jan Oberg, to Rethinking Heroes. Thank you so much. Glad to You're, be with uh, you. I'm delighted to have you here. And uh, you and I were talking a little bit before this conversation about what is a hero today. And traditionally, it's looking back at people who have done something in the past and celebrating what they did in the past. But we now live in an era where anyone who stands up and tries to get out information that can save other people's lives or sculpt or scope a, a real future uh, in the face of media that may not want their voices heard, these now are our modern heroes. I consider you one of them. So enough compliments. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Jan Oberg, does this mean that the days when historically neutral Sweden and Finland can, in principle at least, work for alternatives, where they can advocate for alternatives to war, that those days are now numbered? I think so, but you could say that, that this membership is only um, the end station of a long process. For In the case of Sweden, this has been going on very much since the murder of uh, then Prime Minister of Sweden, Olof Palme, um, where, you know, step by step, incrementally, uh, Sweden has politically, technically and militarily um, come closer to the United States and NATO. Um, and one formulation we've had here in Sweden for a few years was, if we're already engaged, why don't we get married? And, you know, the married thing happened uh, with uh, Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine. It was blown out of all rational analysis and proportion. There was only one narrative. And it was that, oh, if he can invade in uh, Ukraine, he can probably also in, invade Sweden. You know, that's the level of, of thinking and the level of, of hypothesis and analysis that we have here. And Sweden made its decision with 47 percent of the people in favor of membership. Um, uh, and without any decent reporting analysis of the government put out to the people to discuss the pros and cons of a membership, which means changing the policies of so many years. Sweden has been out of warfare for about 200 years. It's a very sad moment because it's taken in panic and not due to any rational decision making. Well, Jan Oberg, co-founder of the Swedish-based Transnational Foundation for Peace and Future Research, the idea of uh, Sweden and the United States being married works for me if we can have your medical system. I think that's a good beginning of a marriage. But that's not being offered here, is it? 
And that's another conversation for another time. What about the U.N. Treaty on Nuclear Abolition? Uh, the, the U.N. goals to complete disarmament. Does the U.N., is, are they even going to factor into this any longer with you guys no, no longer I, being in the middle? Sure, but that, that thing was already decided before the membership application. Sweden decided not to sign. Uh, it, it put up a one-man uh, investigator analysis to, who analyzed, uh, analyzed the situation and came up with, you know, if we say no to nuclear weapons, we may risk that uh, America will not come and help us in case of a crisis and things like that. Um, afraid of, of course, uh, of, of annoying Washington by such a thing. In my view, this is what the world has committed itself to long ago, and general and complete disarmament, including nuclear abolition, is what has been the United Nations uh, charter, and and I don't know how many decisions that have been taken, you know, from the Non-Proliferation Treaty and onwards. But Sweden uh, had already stopped having any kind of decent disarmament peace orientation. Uh, as you know, also Sweden long ago ended having any any uh, soldiers as blue helmets in the UN, whereas Sweden has participated in a series of NATO operations around the world. So, And politically, you know, it started very much around the Iraq war because the then Prime Minister Goran Persson decided that um, to waiver the law that exists in Sweden, that you cannot uh, export weapons to a country in warfare that is planning or is actually uh, in war. And so when America invaded uh, Iran, Iraq in 2003, that was waived so Sweden could keep on, you know, military industrial uh, cooperation with the United States. So it's a long process. It's not something that has happened just, you know, last year after, after Ukraine. But Ukraine was, was, of course, a gift to those who wanted NATO membership because it, 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 it rolled in a way that was beyond anything even I would have predicted at the time. Live from Sweden is Jan Oberg, Sweden Ground Zero of this uh, soon-to-be new NATO territory. Jan Oberg, founder of the Swedish-based Transnational Foundation for Peace and Future Research. Just having written the piece, Provocative NATO Undermines Security of the Nordic Region, where he is standing, uh, which states that Finland and Sweden joining NATO would mean abandoning the neutrality which served them well for so long. So it obviously brings up the next question. Uh, is NATO open to seeking alternatives to war and militarization, at least where you're standing in a formerly neutral country? Certainly there must have been assurances made to the people of Sweden who said, yes, yes, we want NATO. What a good deal. Yes, there were 47%. Actually, in Finland, there were more than 70%. So you could argue Finland probably had some kind of decent majority for joining, not Sweden. Um, well, I don't know. Um, it's it's in my view, it's 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 all the negative consequences that were not discussed with the people and not even in the government. And one of the things you have in Europe is you have the left and the right in favor of arming Ukraine. You have no longer a, a left or a social democracy who are skeptical to armament and militarism. It's across the board. You have the Greens in Germany. You know, you have people who are. You, you virtually have nobody in parliaments anymore who are for a peace discourse or, or uh, skeptical to armament. And so it's, it's, it's a panicking, it's a without thinking um, process that's going on now. And, and let me give you an example of it. two weeks ago, this, the, the, what do you call that? The chief of defense, the highest military person in Sweden went out and said, we must prepare for the eventuality that Russia could imagine 
would try to occupy southern Sweden. That happens to be where I'm sitting, you know. It's not that I'm concerned about it. But the perversity of such a thing made me write an article saying this is a calm hysteric who speaks or a man with propaganda because there is no way rational um, hypothesis or scenario that could lead Russia to try to um, occupy southern Sweden. Earlier, it was the island of Gotland in the Baltic, which is now, as I said, a NATO a NATO um, sea. And what I'm concerned about, among other things, is, of course, the risk that we will have foreign troops and we will have bases on Norway, uh, Swedish and, and Finnish territory that will all shorten the time that is possible or should be available in a crisis situation because they will be very close to each other, you know. You will have American bases in Finland just on the other side of the border from, from Russia. Whereas we used to be a place where people would say, okay, well, there are certain things we have to do before we can have a war with each other. And this coming close, instead of having a belt of countries down through Europe where there is moderation, where there's somebody who could mediate, where there is an OSCE, you know, the Organization of Security and Cooperation of Europe, where we talked with each other. Today, nobody's talking with each other. Russia is canceled. This is damn dangerous. And I say that with an experience about 45 years in this business. Is it very dangerous? Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, rethinkingheroes.com. We're talking to Jan Oberg. He has been in the game for many decades in a neutral country watching that convert into a NATO territory. Some people won't know what the heck a NATO territory is. It's not like it's any of this stuff is ever discussed in mainstream media ever for any reason at any time. You're just supposed to see the words NATO and say, okay. That's against Putin, which it is. Uh, but it turns out, um, certainly from neutral countries where Jan Oberg is standing, NATO has broken promises made to Russia 30 years ago, has expanded politically and militarily up the, as you put it, Jan Oberg, skirts of Russia. Had the U.S. been situated where Russia is, it would have stopped such coming close years ago, if necessary, by military force. Meaning that... If this, the United States, if the Russians decided to build bases in Mexico and Canada or Cuba, remember the Cuban <laughs> missile, missile crisis? People don't, but ask your parents and grandparents, scared the absolute living diddly out of them. Uh, if that happened, we would have gone nuts and the hammer would have come down. That's what's happening to them. It's inverted. So is it weird that they're reacting this way? Let me say that I totally agree with what you said, and I've looked at this, I've written a small book about it online, 160 pages about what happened. My argument is, this was predictable. I predicted it six years ago. Kissinger and others have said, if you try to make Ukraine a, a full member of NATO, you risk war. And nobody, I mean, the problem with NATO is it doesn't listen. The second problem is it doesn't argue. There's no analysis. You just, you go to NATO's homepage and you will find that it postulates that China is a threat. And the little argument that comes afterward is that China is a threat because it has different interests and different values from us. Excuse me, is that a threat analysis? Is that something we can build the humanity's future <laughs> on? This is the, 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 the what, what I say is very dangerous in the world we live now is the complete disarmament intellectually and morally combined with military rearmament. That combination is dangerous. Old politicians, when I was younger in Europe, people like de Gaulle or Willy Brandt or 
Bruno Kreisky or Olaf Palme or who, whoever you could mention, maybe your viewers will not remember them, but these were politicians who knew what war was from the Second World War. There had been children there, there had been refugees, some of them. Today, nobody has a sense of what war is. Today, you know, you have the bizarre idea that military expenditures should follow whether a country's economy goes up or down. I mean, this is totally nuts. The idea is that a military budget should be decided according to a serious analysis of what the threat is and which threats you can do something about and which threats are so small and unlikely that you don't have to plan for them. But the idea of tying that is, is intellectually so lousy and nobody's asking the question, excuse me, if you, if you have a great economy, economic development, then you should have twice as much military. It's like you and I saying, uh, we should buy medicine and the medicine we buy should be in accordance to how much we earn every year, no matter whether we are ill or not. This, this is a le I'm, I'm illustrating this and my conclusion is, and I write this in my book, militarism today has, is, is a new secular religion. NATO is its church. It's a thing you don't ask questions about anymore. Like you don't ask whether does God exist, etc. Either you believe in when you sit in the church or you don't. But asking seriously, excuse me, what are these guys saying is out of the way. That's what people like I do as an intellectual. I've done all my time as a researcher. But media doesn't. Many experts doesn't. Politicians don't. And that's where we are where we are today. We had a famous Republican who was a president named Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was the one that coined the, the term military industrial complex. Uh, nobody would call him a commie. Nobody would call him a pussy, a weakling, a washcloth. Uh, he was considered a real stand-up patriot. And so I think we would do well to revisit history when people could read and write and books weren't banned as they are in Florida. I just threw that in for my own personal satisfaction. I want to thank you. Jan Oberg for coming on Rethinking Heroes. And, you know, let's understand that the less mayhem that happens, the fewer veterans that we're going to have to try to fix. There will be times like a real World War II with a real fascism that we have to address where real guys have to go out and real suffering happens. And then there's just stuff that's profitable and people are making billions as they are. Uh, the defense contractors here, the F-16s going to Turkey, all of this has nothing to do with anything but making giant profits. And unfortunately, many of friends of yours and mine are gonna go have to fight not knowing what they're doing and come back damaged. And then we have to try to fix them. So all of this information is in the service of more information so that you can help make better choices and help the people you elect or you think you elect make better choices too. Thank you so much, Jan Oberg, live from Sweden uh, in your soon to be new NATO territory. I'm congratulating you like that's a great thing to do. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to know that there are media like you in the US. Thanks. Well, appreciate having you on. I'll make sure I send you a link to this. And we do look forward to seeing you down the road because you're such an important voice. Thanks again for your time. Thank you so much. I'm ready for that. All right. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Don't forget, you can hear this at any time, 24-7, simply by going to any streaming platform and asking for Rethinking Heroes. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. Life after the military. RethinkingHeroes.com. 
Carrie Harrison here with an exciting radio gift benefit just for you. Rethinking Heroes has found one more way to help not only vets, but people like you. This is radio giving back for all the time you've spent with us. Rethinking Heroes has found an angel partner who's created a downloadable, fee-free discount pharmacy card to give you up to 90% off many of your meds. It's pegged to government-listed prices, so my $250 Lipitor is only $13. Unlike GoodRx, this bypasses the middleman. It's our Rethinking Heroes Capital Rx thank you card with no fees ever, no credit cards, no expiration dates, no cookies, no tracking. Perfect for the modern listener like you dealing with a busted medical system. So accept this thank you gift and download your fee-free cards now at RethinkingHeroes.com. RethinkingHeroes.com. That's RethinkingHeroes.com. By the way, if this isn't a good reason to love this radio station, show me a better one. Can your IRA stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is at our doorsteps? By allocating a percentage of your IRA into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from turbulent markets and economic downturns by putting your IRA back on the gold standard. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Call now for your free gold and silver report. Protect your IRA today with one simple phone call and learn how to qualify for up to $10,000 in free silver. Call Genesis Gold Group, empowering faith-driven stewardship. 800-915-2051. 800-915-2051. That's 800-915-2051. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. And it is Rethinking Heroes. Carrie Harrison with you. Don't forget, you can check out this as a podcast on every single major streaming platform. Just ask Siri, ask Alaska, Alexa, Alaska, like Fresca. Have a refreshing conversation with your AI and just ask for Rethinking Heroes. Up, it will pop, and you'll be able to hear all kinds of cool people, including the man we're having coming up next. There are heroes in so many ways as we've identified. I think at the birth of this show, I was looking at sort of the traditional guys, World War II survivors, people that were on Iwo Jima, the ones that the History Channel might put on, and we have put on tons of those. We've even brought on cabinet members, we brought on a variety of different people, and then there are the real-time heroes who literally put their neck out to get you information as if they're part of some weird French underground. It's risky. There are major press organs that wouldn't let them on in a million years. Why? Because they say stuff that, well, it's true. (laughs) You know, you might not sell a car because of it. And that's the death penalty right there. Uh, There are guys with high educations, great research sets who are out there doing that heavy lifting that you and I simply cannot do on our own. And then they write it down and make it available for us so that we can better navigate the future of these crazy geopolitics. What if you learned that we recently averted a near nuclear holocaust? Turns out the recent drone attack on the Kremlin highlights the real possibility of cataclysmic escalation uh, resulting from the Ukraine conflict. The part you didn't see on regular television or in the newspaper, if newspapers even really still exist anywhere, is what our next guest wrote about in The Nation magazine. Still exists everywhere, thank God. 
And that article is titled The Most Dangerous Game, How Shadow War Over Ukraine Nearly Triggered Nuclear Holocaust. Now, you're sitting back going, well, but I didn't see this on the Sunday morning. You know, you didn't. But I didn't see Miss Don Lemon talking about it. No, you didn't. James Bamford, however, has been talking about it, and he's written extensively about the NSA and espionage. We all love this stuff. A topic close to the sensibility of everyone listening or watching Rethinking Heroes. We've had veterans on this program from CIA spooks to World War II heroes. All of them agree that any government overreach is not good in any country, no matter which one it is. That said, what were Mr. Bamford's findings? Well, he says that unnoticed among the trove of documents in the Pentagon leak that he reported on is an account of how a miscommunication between a Russian pilot and his base came perilously close to starting World War III. James Bamford's latest book is Spyfall, Foreign Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. James Bamford, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Great. Thanks for having me, Kerry. We are glad to have you here today. A hero standing among us. You don't see yourself that way. You look in the mirror, you shave, you go, ah, this is hard work. Well, for us, it is a glass of cool water in a parched desert of lack of information. Your most recent report gives specifics regarding when tensions were especially high last September. You wrote that according to a Pentagon document, uh, as a British plane entered the airspace above the Black Sea, a pair of Russian Su-27 fighters scrambled skyward to shadow him. Responding to an order from his command center, likely Belbek Air Base on Crimea, a Russian pilot then launched a missile directly at the NATO reconnaissance jet packed with 30 or more British Royal Air Force personnel. Just then, the Russian pilot fighter pilot came very close to igniting World War III. It truly is as dramatic as that sounds. Right. And uh, it's not just uh, Russia. We just had a very near collision in uh, off the coast of China, um, where a, a U.S., the same type of plane, a U.S. Uh, RC-135 was flying off the coast, collecting intelligence, and it does it uh, practically every day. And the Chinese are very angry about that. Um, and so they harassed the plane. And uh, I think it was a day before yesterday, there was an incident where there was a near collision between the Chinese fighter and the um, uh, U.S. reconnaissance plane. And that's, uh, as you just mentioned uh, from my article, that's what I wrote about over the Black Sea. So these incidents become very, very dangerous. And uh, you can tell how dangerous they are because uh, in my book, I have a whole chapter uh, on uh, uh, not a near collision, but an actual collision that took place uh, over the uh, sea off China, where uh, a fighter, Chinese fighter, came too close and collided with the American reconnaissance plane. The Chinese fighter crashed into the ocean and the American reconnaissance plane had to make an emergency landing on Chinese territory, which actually was their target. And that led to the largest loss of intelligence, uh, probably in U.S. history at that point, because the Chinese captured an entire American Spy planes. So these are very dangerous. The public never hears about them because they're all wrapped up in secrecy. And the only reason they heard about the case involving uh, the incident over the Black Sea was because of a leak from the Pentagon documents uh, uh, that were just recently uh, dis discovered. And in those documents, Jane Babford, what actually what actually did save the dozens we're looking at of British crew members, a, a 
Russian jet shoots skyward, fires a missile. What saved them from uh, this, what Pentagon is calling near shoot? Well, the only thing that saved them was a glitch. What happened was the um, the RC-135, uh, which is a very big spy plane. It's not like the U-2, which carried one person. Uh, this is a plane that carries 30 or more people. And they're all manning both sides of the plane, listening to signals that are taking place in Russia and on the Crimea and so forth. And um, so they're they're flying you know, a regular speed, it's not a jet plane. So it's uh, uh, flying at a regular uh, speed that a Boeing 707 would fly. The Russians uh, react to that because they don't like uh, spy planes flying near their territory. And so they send up fighters. And in this case, uh, as in most cases, they send up two fighters to uh, basically fly alongside it and fly under it and fly over it. And, and, uh, uh, normally, that's all that happens. But in this case, uh, the uh, pilot of one of the fighters uh, got a command from his, uh, uh, you know, headquarters down in Crimea. And the command was uh, not to take any action. But he misunderstood that to say, uh, take action, fire a missile. So he fired the missile at the American spy plane, and, and uh, which was actually loaded with a crew from Britain. And there was another glitch. Luckily, the, the missile misfired, and so it didn't hit the plane. But had it hit the plane, we would have had uh, over 30 uh, NATO members, British members, and an American spy plane uh, down in the Black Sea. And who knows what kind of a war that would have uh, launched under NATO orders. Uh, you know, an attack on one country is an attack on all. So that would have been a Russian attack on a NATO uh, spy plane killing over 30 people. And you could have had a nuclear war. I mean, both countries have been threatening each other with nuclear weapons. And we have learned really in the past weeks on this program, we've brought on uh, guys from Space Command. I know it sounds like we're talking about a comic book, but U.S. Space Command, uh, NORAD and others that talk about how we are that one second to midnight in the doomsday clock, as it used to be called, uh, that we really are that close and situations are that tenuous. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. We're talking to James Bamford. His latest book is called Spyfall, Spyfall, Foreign Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. He says that unnoticed among the trove of documents in the Pentagon leak that he reported on is an account of how a miscommunication between a Russian pilot and his base came perilously close to starting World War II, World War Three, and that's what we're talking about right now. Uh, he also has done more, and we're going to jump into that in just a moment, which does still include Russia, but now we fold in uh, Israel and we fold in former President Trump. So there's a much larger story at play here, uh, but just to sort of button up this conversation here, James Bamford, with Russia's nearly shooting down that British spy plane, plus the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline and uh, uh, drones blowing up near Vladimir Putin's summer home did not please him. Uh, looks like chaos theory comes into play here. Hard to predict and control chaos managed by intelligence spooks and nuclear powers. Now that most of Scandinavia has lost its neutrality and has been folded into NATO, is there any room left for diplomacy as you see it? 
Well, that should have taken place at the beginning. Uh, it, it always should take place at the beginning and never at the end. I mean, here we have wars that go on for decades and uh, uh, end up being disasters. And that's uh, probably how this one's going to end up. We should have uh, focused on the uh, uh, diplomacy at the very start of this thing, which we didn't. We, we you know, the U.S. just kept pushing it. And as you mentioned before, you know, this is a... a a uh, existential threat for Russia to have NATO on its borders. I mean, if Russian, uh, if the old Warsaw Pact was still around and they uh, uh, put uh, forces in Mexico and in Ottawa and in, uh, you know, in one of the provinces in Canada and Cuba, I mean, what would, what would the United States do? Sit back and say, oh, that's okay. Um, we almost went to nuclear war over, over Cuba. So, um, uh, so this is very complicated, and the U.S. should have taken uh, more time to discuss this and looked at the Minsk agreement and so forth uh, with, you know, a uh, more careful eye, I think. Seems, James Bamford, that this is just the reshuffling of the geopolitical deck, not done with any kind of great diligence, uh, but a lot of uh, prestidigitation and well wishes and blinking and martinis and defense contractors ringing the register. Smed Smedley Butler looking up from his grave going, see, I told you um, if anyone knows who that was. I know a bunch of people do. But there are those who don't. Please Google him. You're going to find yet another hero. You also wrote about the Trump campaign's collusion with Israel for The Nation magazine. Former President Trump was central to many Americans getting a real first introduction into Vladimir Putin. They knew about this guy. They may not have known how he ran the Stasi in East Germany, how he was the head of the KGB, but they knew he was a little icky. At least that's the way he was being presented. Then they meet him through Donald Trump, almost, you know, French kissing each other. And it kind of changes the look. Your investigation, James Branford, took a more serious look at the so-called Russiagate investigation of a few years back and found that there was an Israeli connection, something we were never told about. In fact, that the FBI did uncover hard evidence of extensive collusion between close Trump associates like the caustic Roger Stone, who whom I chafed with at a Los Angeles Politicon a few years ago. Uh, guys like that Trump advisor Roger Stone working secretly and directly with the highest levels of the Israeli government to help get Donald Trump elected. So it was true. Well, yeah, and uh, this doesn't come from some uh, source I interviewed in the you know back of a parking garage or anything. I mean, this this information comes from uh, the Department of Justice. It's a Freedom Information Act request that uh, forced the release of documents that showed uh, these uh, connections between Israel and the Trump campaign. What the documents show are emails between uh, Roger Stone and this secret Israeli agent that uh, the documents, the Israeli, uh, the uh, FBI documents say was the prime minister, Netanyahu. Um, what happened was Netanyahu uh, really wanted Trump to win. I mean, Netanyahu wanted Trump to uh, win because he had a lot of the, uh, the same ideas, getting rid of the uh, nuclear accords with Iran, for example, but they also wanted uh, Trump to agree to another thing, and that was to recognize Jerusalem as being the sole uh, capital of, of Israel. In other words, no negotiation with uh, uh, the Palestinians as every other president uh, uh, in the past has, uh, has insisted on. Uh, 
So they wanted uh, Trump to agree to this uh, uh, pact, basically, where the United States was going to recognize uh, Jerusalem as the sole. And, and he did. Capital. Well, that was he did later on. But yeah. at the beginning, uh, he hadn't decided that. So what the Israelis did was uh, Netanyahu sent over a secret agent in May of 2016, met with uh, um, Roger Stone, and uh, uh, basically offered that quid pro quo. And the pro quo, pro quo was the uh, fact that if basically if Trump uh, agreed to this and a few other concessions, um, they would pass on intelligence to um, uh, to the Stone uh, to the uh, uh, Trump campaign through Roger Stone. And what this intelligence was, was actually the uh, the material that the Russians were intercepting from the uh, uh, Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC. Uh, just to go back, if everybody remembers, the, uh, the Russians uh, tapped into the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC, and they captured a great deal, thousands, thousands of uh, emails. The, the uh, before, before even the United States knew about that, the Israelis knew about it because they had been eavesdropping on the Russians. So they were aware that the Russians had tapped into the Clinton campaign and they had the, the material. I mean, they intercepted the Russian communications. So they offered that uh, information to Roger Stone or to the Trump campaign through Roger Stone. And they have meetings all during the summer. And this is all recorded in uh, in the FBI documents. These are actual emails between the Russian, uh, the, sorry, the Israeli agent and Roger Stone, uh, as well as other people. So um, this isn't speculation. It's an actual, uh, uh, you know, it's actual fact from from uh, documents that the FBI got uh, under a search warrant. Uh, and but the bottom line is, at the end of the summer, uh, Trump did agree to that. He had a, a private meeting with Netanyahu in the uh, in his uh, Manhattan penthouse. And he came out and declared, if I become president, uh, we're going to recognize Jerusalem as the sole capital of uh, of Israel. Um, so they got what they wanted. Trump got what he wanted. And nobody ever got prosecuted for this while we're still going, you know, during that same summer, they were still going after Russia where there was nothing to be seen, basically. Well, question comes to mind, James Bamford. Again, you've written extensively about this. You've written books. We'll make sure that we mention that again a little later on. Uh, you write for the nation. You do the heavy lifting. You're the adult in the room. Let's admit it. Uh, compared to me, I am you know, sucking on a, a, I don't know, a lollipop intellectually. So I really appreciate you're laying this out for us. But is not uh, Israel our ally, meaning that if they're spying on Russia, find out that Russia is spying on us for our elections, they're supposed to tell us, not Roger Stone. Exactly. I mean, they're getting $4 billion a year every single year from the United States. That's every American has to pay out of their pocket to Israel, which is one of the, you know, most wealthy countries in the world. It's certainly a first uh, level country in terms of economics. Yet we're giving $4 billion a year to Israel. The least you could expect is if they pick up intelligence that the Russians are eavesdropping on the DNC and Hillary Clinton, stealing the emails, stealing their emails, uh, you know, pass it on to the president. 
guy that's in charge of the United States, not his. That would be uh, Obama at the time. Yeah, it would have been President Obama. Pass it on to Obama, not to uh, uh, you know the political Stone. Donald Trump. <laughs> but that's not the way the Israelis do things because Israel knows that nothing is ever bad going to happen to them. They get away with everything. Wow. And, and we wonder why the public has such distrust and likely because so few uh, people who are the gatekeepers for the rest of us are willing to stand up, acknowledge us, even tell this story. So we look to magazines like The Nation. We look to we have to go overseas to Deutsche Welle, to Al Jazeera on TV. I mean, we have to go thousands of miles away to get an inkling of what's happening here on U.S. soil. And thanks to you, James Bamford whose latest book is Spyfall, Foreign Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and Collapse of America's Counterintelligence, which I'm guessing uh, you can find that on Amazon and anywhere somebody gets a book. Uh, we can learn way more about how all of this is connected, and this is a topic everybody is interested in. So you've done us a real solid here, and I appreciate it. Well, great. Thanks for having me on your show. You have a fantastic show, and you're ideology is basically mine. So I'm going to be a, a fan for you uh, from here on out. Thank right. you. Karen. Back at you. Thank you so much. That's James Bamford. His latest book is Spyfall, Foreign Spies, Mole Saboteurs, Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. We bring on the real investigative reporters, the ones that are willing to roll up their sleeves, stick their neck out under the blade of the guillotine so that you can get information, something so rare, so nourishing, so delicious, and so almost impossible in today's climate here in the U.S., but we will find them and we will present them. Coming up, we're going to be talking UFOs. Why? Because the United States of America, e pluribus unum, NASA itself, and multiple government agencies recently put together a committee to acknowledge that something else is probably out there. They even rebranded UFOs to UAPs. <laughs> we'll get into why. Why would you rebrand something like that? Well, because there's a purpose. We're going to be bringing on the head of the L.A. chapter of MUFON, who has witnessed a few of these on his own, and bring into perspective what could this mean for all of us if there really is something out there. And remember, the Air Force is involved and the entire military establishment. So uh, we're going to bring some light on that in just a second, here and only here on Rethinking Heroes. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison, Life After the Military, RethinkingHeroes.com. Carrie Harrison here with an exciting radio gift benefit just for you. Rethinking Heroes has found one more way to help not only vets, but people like you. This is radio giving back for all the time you've spent with us. Rethinking Heroes has found an angel partner who's created a downloadable, fee-free discount pharmacy card to give you up to 90% off many of your meds. It's pegged to government-listed prices, so my $250 Lipitor is only $13. Unlike GoodRx, this bypasses the middleman. It's our Rethinking Heroes Capital RX thank you card with no fees ever, no credit cards, no expiration dates, no cookies, no tracking. Perfect for the modern listener like you dealing with a busted medical system. So accept this thank you gift and download your fee-free cards now at RethinkingHeroes.com. RethinkingHeroes.com. That's RethinkingHeroes.com. By the way, if this isn't a good reason to love this radio station, show me a better one. 
Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? Well, you call low-cost airlines because they specialize in cheap flights, in discount hotel rooms, in cheap car rentals, and with the best price guarantee. They explore hundreds of airlines, thousands of routes, millions of itineraries and fares to keep it simple for you. So if you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available, often 75% off. So don't wait. Call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military with Carrie Harrison. And it is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Carrie Harrison with you. I really enjoy being with you, by the way. In the beginning, this this was like really hard work. Nobody had ever done this kind of show in the United States. We're the first ones to do it. And the amount of feedback we get, the amount of support, the amount of thank God somebody's doing it. Um, I don't really I don't take the credit. I'm just here like like your cleaning lady. But this is fascinating. And I've met so many cool people. And trust me, more and more will come. Well, recently, a team of 16 experts and scientists assembled by NASA pushed its first report on unidentified anomalous phenomena formerly known as UFOs. That's the federal government's fancy new rebranding about what used to be called UFOs. The term UAP, originally meaning unidentified aerial phenomena, was changed by the National Defense Authorization Act in recognition of the fact that the search for UAP should include near space and undersea phenomena as well. This now means that multiple branches of the United States government, including NASA, are officially raising the possibility of extraterrestrial visitations. This is former Navy fighter pilot, Lieutenant Ryan Graves recently speaking. He's one of the many military pilots who are convinced that what they have seen goes way beyond known technology. The descriptions that we're hearing now from Aero and from NASA, these these, uh, cylindrical objects, or uh, spherical objects that are going anywhere from stationary uh, all the way up to Mach 2. Uh, And we're seeing these apparently worldwide in all our operational areas and elsewhere. Uh, And these are very similar to what we were reporting off the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, We were reporting similar size objects, uh, performing similar characteristics. And it seems like this is still a mystery that we don't yet know. Well, a couple of years ago, the government did release a report on what they're now calling unidentified aerial phenomena or UAPs, they're changing it again, but these are objects that cannot be identified as aircraft, balloons, or other known objects. So with me is Dan Harari, author of the original science fiction novel, After They Came, a book now heralded and embraced by over a dozen of America's leading UFO researchers and experts, and of course, read and looked at by the same people at NASA and government now doing these uh, hearings and talking about this openly. Dan Harari has been a member of the Southern California chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, since 2003. And there he has studied the history of ufology, as it's called, side by side with dozens of 
the world's most prominent UFO researchers and scientists. Remember, all of this is now borne out by the federal government here at home. Uh, and these scientists and researchers, all of whom have presented seminars and lectures, not to mention anecdotal evidence on the topic based on decade, decades of research. Dan Hareri has personally witnessed three UFO sightings in his life, one in 1970 in New Jersey with his father, one in 1996 near Edwards Air Force Base, one at Washington State's Isetti Ranch, a globally renowned UFO hotspot. So Dan Hareri, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thanks, Gary. It's great to be here, man. Thank you very much. Didn't think I would ever be doing this episode, but let me tell you, I love it. The History Channel started doing history. Now it ancient aliens and ufos uh discovery all of it because this more and more information is bearing this out and our whole military structure is built around this kind of thinking so it kind of makes sense dan harari can you walk us a little bit through the history of ufos absolutely i will um there is a at least a 70-year cover-up carry by our government and the military um the, the modern day UFO era, modern day UFO era, really began with Kenneth Arnold, who was a pilot in Washington state. He was a pilot who was flying a private plane June 47. He saw nine discs. And I'm going to just jump in respectfully. If you could just use your bar voice as if you're yelling across to okay. that old lady about to throw a beer can at your head and telling her to stop, use that okay. voice. Thank you better, so better? Yes, you like much better. 1947. Okay, well, okay. So 1947, June, a pilot named Kenneth Arnold in Washington State was flying the private plane. He saw nine silver discs pass him. He landed, he told the media, and that became the term flying saucer. He described them as saucers skipping through the sky. So that's when flying saucers, the term, began. The modern cover-up era began a month later, July 47, at Roswell. Now, there's a lot of people who think Roswell was a weather balloon. Uh, that was the cover-up by the military. Uh, the, the, the personnel at, at the Roswell Army Air Force Base recovered a disc. They recovered three dead bodies, and the rumor is that they recovered one live alien body, or one living alien creature. Well, what happened is the, the I'm a publicist, so I can relate to this. The publicist for the Army Air Force Base, Jesse Marcel, sent out a press release that day. It said, we've, kept, we've recovered a crashed disc, and it ran all over the world. The next day, they were ordered to retract that story by Washington, D.C., and they said, oh, no, 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 sorry, we were wrong, we were wrong. It was a weather balloon. Well, it was not a weather balloon. And Jesse Marcel on his deathbed told his family, we were covered a UFO and alien bodies. We were sworn to secrecy and we were never allowed to talk about it. So in 1947, it was President Truman. And this is only two years after the end of World War II. President Truman assembled a group of top military brass and top scientists called Majestic 12. It was 12 men. And their mandate, Kerry, was to create protocols by which to uh, to enact whenever a, uh, a disc crashed anywhere in the world. How do you get the craft? How do you get the alien bodies? What do you do with them? Where do you bring them? How do you discredit the witnesses? And how do you discredit the media? And so even to this day, there are people on TV 
that still kind of chuckle and say, yeah, you know, the little green men are coming. Well, they've been here. If you study ufology as I have, you will, and if you believe, Eric Von Daniken was a famous writer. He wrote a book called Chariots of the Gods, 1968. I met him recently. Um, Eric Von Daniken's theory, which gave birth to the Ancient Aliens TV show, which I love, is that extraterrestrials have been on Earth for hundreds of thousands of years. They helped shape mankind's uh, civilization, technology, science, and that they've always been here. There are biblical references to aliens in the Bible. Uh, there are cave drawings of, from our cavemen ancestors who've drawn UFOs and aliens in caves all over the world. Then, of course, you go to the pyramids and, and Stonehenge. Um, and then you, that's the earlier era. So the modern era really began with Kenneth Arnold, Roswell, and Truman doing uh, Majestic 12 to cover everything up. I love this. Dan Hareri, we are regrettably short on time, but I will bring you back as this NASA discovery and these government conversations continue. And we'll get into more depth, not just about the history, but what we know today, what they're now admitting and where it's all going to go. Meanwhile, let me give a shout out to your book. What if there were benevolent aliens that wanted to help humankind? I like that idea for sure. Very not uh, a... Uh, I was going to say H.G. Wells. The opposite of Independence Day. Of or Orson Wells, yes. Thank you so much for coming on, Dan Harari. Very much appreciate it. Your book is called, uh, again, What If There Were Benevolent Aliens That Want to Help Mankind? And after they came. After, after they, came. they came. Great. On Amazon, right. Very much appreciate you coming on, my friend. We will do this again. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. Always more to learn, always more to love. You can visit me anytime at RethinkingHeroes.com. Thank you. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. Life after the military. RethinkingHeroes.com. Copyright Audiences United, LLC. All rights reserved. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? Well, you call low-cost airlines because they specialize in cheap flights, in discount hotel rooms, in cheap car rentals, and with the best price guarantee. They explore hundreds of airlines, thousands of routes, millions of itineraries and fares to keep it simple for you. So if you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available, often 75% off. So don't wait. Call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795.